Hi everyone, this is Pastor Barden, and uh, this is uh, kind of an unusual uh, podcast or recording uh, this uh, today. Um, what I'm doing is um, the recording for our message uh, last Sunday um, did not come out because of uh, some technical difficulties, so I wanted to uh, redo the recording for you because it was such a a sensitive issue, and so many of you were um, wanting the recording, and so I wanted to do this for you again so that uh, we would have it on our website and you were able to uh, access it um, through uh, iTunes and so on and so forth. So um, I want to talk about this issue, and this is a, a really sensitive issue. Um, it's a the bottom line. It's a it's an issue that that is in the forefront in our society today, and um, it's the topic of homosexuality, and specifically what I want to talk about today is what does the Bible say about this issue, and with the recent Supreme Court decision of the issue of same-sex marriage and the whole discussion of homosexuality, it's just something that the church can't ignore, and I want to be very sensitive because I realize for some of you, you have a family member or a son or a daughter or a friend um, who who is a homosexual and you're wondering how how do I handle this or or, or maybe you're just struggling with uh, same sex attraction and I want to make sure that our church handles this in the right way that we have uh, very good conversations about this that are balanced with both truth and and love and and I want to apologize in many ways the church has dropped the ball in this issue whether refusing just to talk about it or or just showing no compassion and uh, or just pointing the finger and and I want to make sure that we get this right. Um, I heard one pastor say this and I thought it was beautiful. He said the church should be a place for the sexually broken. And and I know this can create a lot of emotions and there's a lot of opinions and it can get very heated, but uh, but let me be very clear uh, for a follower of Jesus Christ, um there should be no hate in us and and that that love must be our banner in all that we do. And, and I want to know, for those of you that are struggling with it, I want you to know that our church loves you and that, and that I love you. And, and I want our church to be a place that's a sanctuary, that's a place where, where the broken and the hurting and, and those that have been um, abused and, and those that, um, um, uh, that are just needing forgiveness, uh, that's what the church should be. It, it should be a place of healing, and that's what Jesus came for. He came to... He came to give his life for sinners, which every single one of us are, and we all have our our messiness, and we all need we all need help. Um, and I know that the church, in many ways, has gotten a bad reputation, and in some ways, you know, it's for good reason. But but I want people to know that that Christ loves them, and that's the reason why he came. He came for the broken and for the sinner, and. Uh, and, and if you're struggling with that today, I want you to know that we love you and that I love you and um, that uh, our church in some ways is going to be different from the way other churches uh, may in the past have dealt with this. Uh, but my desire is that we understand what the Word of God says, that we keep and guard our hearts from becoming hardened or cynical or becoming self-righteous, that we understand that we are all sinners saved by the grace of God, and and I want to be careful that we don't uh, maximize one sin over another, um, and that's what I'm afraid of. If we're not careful with the discussion of of this very issue, and that we all have struggles, and we all need need the grace of God. At Living Word, um, let me start by saying this: we believe that 
the Bible is God's word and, and it's, it's truth and it shows us what absolute truth is. And so we give the Bible absolute authority within our church. And so these are not my ideas. Uh, we want to follow what God says. And um, we believe the Bible shows us that God created us. He knows what's best for us and that, um, uh, and, and, and that he, he gives us the design uh, for, for marriage and for what he desires for us. We believe that Jesus came to rescue us from sin and that all mankind has fallen short of the glory of God and, and, in, and is in need of a Savior. And in a nutshell, that's what, the, that's what the gospel message is. That's what the good news is. It's that Jesus came for sinners to, to reconcile us back to a holy God. And so let me lay a foundation here. And the foundation that we have to get a correct world view is found for us in the first three chapters of Genesis. And uh, without this foundation, we can go in a million different directions. And so with that being said, here, here, here's what I believe the three questions that we need to, to know and answer in our lives. And the first question is, why are we here? What is the origins of life? And what we see in Genesis 1 and 2 is that God created us. It's the word ex nihilo in Latin. It means out of nothing. And so we believe that God is our creator. Um, and we believe that uh, God knows what's best for his creation. And through the word of God, he's shown us what he desires for his creation. The next question we need to answer is, why is there so much suffering? And uh, we see in Genesis chapter 3 that man sinned and rebelled against God, which then propelled this sin into the world. And, uh, and we turn from God and his instructions. And that's why we see so much evil and, and we see so much confusion in our world today, whether it's confusion about sexuality or it's um, evil or, or selfish desires. These come from sin, and that's because man rebelled against God. And so the third question we need to answer is, is what is the answer? And in Genesis 3.15, we, we, um, we see this verse speaking of a Savior, Jesus Christ, who would come and rescue us from this rebellion. And, and this is the first uh, proclamation or announcement of, of the gospel. And within those chapters of Genesis, we also see God's design uh, for marriage. And let me read that to you in Genesis uh, chapter 2, verses 20 through 24. It says this, the, the man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the heaven, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was, n there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon man, and while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed it up, and in its place, um, and placed it with flesh. And the rib that, that the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And then the man said, This at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And here's the key verse in verse 24. It says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become literally one flesh. Now, this is not just physically becoming one, but it's also spiritually and emotionally becoming one. This was God's design. God saw this as holy and right. And, um, and, and we see that um, in the word of God, it says that the man and the woman were naked, but they were not ashamed. But then in the very next chapter, we see the fall of man. And when they fell and they rebelled against God, they looked at themselves and they were ashamed because of their nakedness, because of the guilt that was brought on because of sin. And God sent his son Jesus to restore that brokenness and, and to cover 
uh, our guilt with his very life that, uh, that he died on the cross for us. So everything that we base our belief on must be based on this or we will basically make up our own ideas. And this was God's design. He knows what's best for his creation, that we've all made mistakes and that we've all messed up and that, and that we need to obey his directions. And, and I believe the further and further we get away from this, the more confusing life becomes. So with that said, God set a standard for our relationships with one another. And this is what God said is right and holy. And so God wanted to be very specific on how we were to treat one another and specifically when it came to sexual relations. And so God said, listen, anything that comes between that relationship that I've set up between a husband and wife, when, when anything comes between that, um, that will whittle away at the relationship that I desire to have with you. So I want to read um, Leviticus 18 to you and, and talk about God's design and desire for a right relationship. So he gives a whole list here because what he does is he gives this law to Moses and he says, Moses, I, I want you to pass this law on to my people and this is how I want you to treat one another because when you are holy in your relationships to one another, it will reflect uh, your relationship with me. And so basically the Ten Commandments are how we relate to God and how we relate to one another. They're not meant to 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 suffocate us. They're not meant to harm us, but they're meant to protect us. And so these are the guardrails that God put up around us to protect our relationship with him. And so here's what God says, and this is very specific. And some of you that that um, didn't know this was in the Bible, you're going to be kind of shocked, but but uh, it's in the Bible, and so I want to read it to you. And uh, and here's what it says in Leviticus 18. I want to specifically read verses uh, 1 through 24. It says, The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You must not do as they do in Egypt, where where you used to live. You must not do as they do in the land of Canaan, where I'm about to bring you. Do not follow their practices. You must obey the laws and be careful to follow my decree. I am the Lord your God. Keep my decrees and laws. For the man who obeys them will live by them. I am the Lord. No one is to approach any close relative to have sexual relations with them. I am the Lord. Do not dishonor your father by having sexual relations with your mother. She is your mother. Do not have relations with her. Do not have sexual relations with your father's wife. That would dishonor your father. Do not have sexual relations with your sister, neither your father, your daughter, nor your mother's daughter, whether she was born in the same home or elsewhere. Do not have sexual relations with your daughter, with your son's daughter or your daughter's daughter. That would be that would dishonor you. Do not have sexual relations with your daughter of your father's wife, born to your father. She is your sister. Do not have sexual relations with your father's sister. She is your father's close relative. Do not have sexual relations with your mother's sister because she is your mother's close relative. Do not dishonor your father's brother by approaching his wife to have sexual relations. She is your aunt. Do not have sexual relations with your daughter-in-law. She is your son's wife. Do not have relations with her. Do not have sexual relations with your brother's wife. That would dishonor your brother. Do not have sexual relations with both a woman and her daughter. Do not have sexual relations with either her son's daughter or her daughter's daughter. They are her close relatives. Uh, that is wickedness. Do not take your wife's sister as uh, as a rival wife and have sexual relations with her while while your wife is living. Do not approach a woman to have sexual relations during her un 
uncleanliness of her monthly period. Do not have sexual relations with your neighbor's wife and to defile yourself with her. Do not give any of your children to the sacrifice to be sacrificed to Molech, for you must not profane the, the name of, of your God. I am the Lord. Do not lie with a man as one lies with a woman. That is detestable. Do not have sexual relations with an animal and defile yourself with it. A woman must not present herself to an animal to have relations with it. Uh, that is a perversion. Do not defile yourself in any of these ways because this is how the nation that I am I am going to drive out before you have become defiled. Now, God is very specific here in his word and what his expectations were for right relationships. Now, my question would be, after reading this list, any one of us who reading this list would say, you know, which one of these would not apply for today? And we would we would definitely say that that those things are are out of kilter. Those are wrong, and 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 they become very hurtful, and they can hurt relationships, and ultimately our relationship with God. But I want you to see how specific God is. All of these are outside the the, the bounds of marriage, as described in Genesis chapter two. And a couple of things we need to look at here, specifically when we're reading Leviticus eighteen, is both Leviticus eighteen twenty two and Leviticus twenty. Uh, verse 13, speak directly to acts of men with men. And what did God mean by this? And, and, and what type of sin was this? Well, what God was saying is something very, that's very specific, very clear. He's saying two people of the same gen- gender are not to be involved sexually. Now, God is very specific here. Um, he says, do not have this relationship as one does with a woman. Now, I want you to notice here that, that God, there's an accountability here that God holds both men accountable for this Act, and so this is this is important. This isn't um, we're, we're 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 talking about something very specific here between two men is is different from one that would lie uh, with a with a woman. And so th- the question we need to ask ourselves is: Well, this comes up in the Old Testament. An argument would would say, well, that's not valid for today. Someone might say, well, we technically don't honor the Sabbath. We eat ham and lobster and little neck clams with butter like it's going out of business. We eat bacon like it's going out of style. And all of those things are forbidden in the Old Testament, and it's a no-no. So so how would you answer someone who asks that question? Because some of you are thinking, well, I just ate bacon today, so I must be sinning against the Lord. Um, they would say to us, well, you're sinning because you ate bacon, and uh, and some of you do sin because you eat way too much bacon. And so what, what do we need to understand? Well, there's a difference between dietary laws, sacrificial sacrificial laws, and moral laws in the Old Testament. What Jesus says to us in Matthew 5.17, he says, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but I've actually come to fulfill them. See, moral laws still apply to us today. So what happens is we see Jesus reiterating these moral laws. So does the Apostle Paul and many other New Testament writers. We would understand that adultery and murder and stealing and false witness would still uh, be wrong today. And these, are, these all come from the Old Testament law. So here is basically a rule that you, you should guide yourself through as you read through um, the Bible. That if it's spoken of in the New Testament, then, then that very thing would apply today. And so once again, Jesus speaking in Mark chapter 7, verses 18 through 19, he says this, And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? 
Thus, he declared that all foods are clean. And so what we see here also is in Acts chapter 10, God declared to Peter to get up and eat what he thought was unclean, which we see in the Old Testament, which God now declares is clean. So anything that applies to ceremonies or sacrifices is Old Testament only. And here's the point. Jesus came to fulfill all these things. He fulfilled the Sabbath. He fulfilled the sacrificial system. But here's something that's very concerning about Leviticus in this verse. With all the specific um, things that God says not to do that are unlawful sexually in sexual relationships, he says of all these things that, that were unlawful, the very one that, that he says is an abomination or detestable was the act of a man lying with a man or 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 or, or, or homosexual uh, sin. And he's saying specifically of all the laws, God says, this is an abomination or this is detestable. And and he said, um, this this act of a man lying with a man is detestable to me. Now now if 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 we're not careful here, we we have to be careful on I'm looking at it through God's perspective, and, and I would be lying to you if I were to say that God changed his mind concerning this. Um, I, I, I would never say if God sees something as, as, as detestable that, that it would no longer be valid today. And, and, and so this very fact is, is, is also reiterated in the New Testament force. The act of homosexuality is talked about in the New Testament. Let me just read you a couple of verses here. Romans 1, 24 through 27, it says, Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and they worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who was blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to, a, to uh, dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving themselves in due penalty for their error. Paul also says in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexual immoral, the idolater, the adulterer, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor rivalers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. First Timothy one eight through eleven also says, "Now we know that the law is good; it is used when it's used lawfully. Understand this: that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and the disobedient, for the ungodly and the sinner, for the unholy and the profane, for those who strike their father and mo- mother, for murderers, the sexual moral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers." And whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine in accordance to the gospel of the glory of the blessed God in which I have been entrusted. Now, I want you to see that Paul's voice here, his tone, um, is serious. And, and there's a whole list here. And, and I want you to notice within this list is sexual immorality. And what does this mean? Well, in the Greek, it's the word pornos, which we get our English word pornography. And basically, in a nutshell, what this means is any sex outside the marriage bed as described in, in Genesis chapter 2 for us is outside of, of God's will and God's original intent of something that was beautiful and holy. And here's what I want you to see, that 
in all of these sins. Um, we tend to celebrate these sins. Um, you know, we celebrate, you know, drunkenness or, or maybe I got away with something of, of ripping somebody off or taking advantage of somebody or, or adultery. And, and, and we look at these things and we might even celebrate them. But I want you to know um, that in all these lists, these are the very sins that Jesus died for. That there are sins that need to be forgiven. And, and, and somebody may think, well, that's why I don't like the Bible, because it, it condemns homosexual sin. But, but when you look at this list, we need to understand that, that these sins, all of these, are, are much worse than we would ever think. Because what, what, the, what the Bible is, is showing us is that it's condemning any sexual sin outside the marriage bed of which God designed and spoke to us in Genesis chapter 2. And so this is what we this is this is what we must see. And, and I want to be careful that we take the emotion out of this, or, or my own feelings, and just see the Bible for what it is, as, as as hard as it must be. But here's here's our hope, because I don't want anyone listening to this feeling like, man, Pastor, I, you know, my life is so messed up, and I made so many mistakes in my life, and you know, uh, whether whether I made, you know, whether I had bad relationships or divorces or you know, just sexually, my my past is, is so littered with so many bad, bad choices. Here's the hope. This is why Jesus came. And it's in First First Corinthians 6, 11. Paul, as he even gives that whole list, he says this very thing. And I'm, I'm, this is my hope for you. And this is my prayer for you is that you'll see this. He says, and such were some of you. But he says, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. See, many might say, well, well, Pastor, what about the argument of, of someone saying that I was born that way? And, and I can say that we were all born in sin. The Bible says that we've all fallen short of the glory of God, that we all have struggles, that we are all dysfunctional in this area of sexuality, and we all need help. If, if I were to say to a married man that, that, that he would never struggle with lust the rest of his life, um, that would be asking quite a bit. And if, if I were to say to a person with same-sex attraction that would never struggle with that the rest of their life, that would be asking a lot. But, but, but here's the bottom line. Here's the deal. No matter what the sinful desire, I have to submit that to Christ and become obedient to him and realize that the gospel message speaks to sinners like me that says, I have come to redeem you and to restore you from the brokenness that sin has come from the very from from Genesis chapter 3 on, Jesus came to restore that and make it right again. Um, I have to, you know, control um, my my desires, not allow myself to become a slave to them. And Christ can give you uh, the strength to do that. That that realize that even in in your struggle, Christ is there. That in your struggle with temptation, Christ is there. And and that your feelings don't define you. That your struggle and your temptation do not define who you are. Your past does not define you. Christ is the one who defines you. And that's why Paul says, you were, this is what you were. That, that many of you were, were this. You were, you know, you were, you know, adulterers. You were idolaters. You, you were part of the sexual immoral. You were thieves. You were drunkards. You were greedy. You were swindlers. Those of you that practice homosexuality, um, you were you were these, 
But he says, but now, for those that have come to Christ, as such as some of you were, but now you're washed, now you're sanctified, now you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. And, and Christ has made you right with God. And so, so basically, we are all sinners here. And, 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 and we need to know that we are loved in Christ. That, that, that Paul speaks to these words, which bring so much comfort to me. That, that God demonstrates his love towards us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so, how do we deal, how do we deal with this um, as a church? Because I, I, want, I want our church to be a place where people can come that struggle with these things, that, that have messed up lives, that come, and, and they find the church to be a safe haven where they can talk about these things and allow Christ um, to minister to um, their needs. Um, whatever your your background is, and in, in my research and, and doing a lot of, of study of this, um, it was interesting to see people from uh, looking at it from the angle of those that that struggle with same sex attraction, and and a, a couple people that I've researched has really helped me to understand kind of this subject in, in a little deeper way. Let me just re- recommend a couple books here for those of you that are interested in reading more on this. Uh, Kevin DeYoung wrote a great book on what does the Bible really teach about homosexuality. Um, and then there's a couple other books that um, that I think are really excellent, a couple other people that um, have struggled with same-sex attraction and how God has helped them and, and how um, Christ has helped them to find their identity ultimately um, in him. And one is Sam Alberry, and he's a pastor from England who, who struggled with same-sex attraction. And in order to please... Christ and to love him. Um, he knew that he would have to remain pure and to deny himself and to follow Christ. He wrote a book called Is God Anti-Gay? And uh, just an excellent book. I've listened to his testimony and just um, really great things in his struggle with same-sex attraction, how Christ is helping him and how he's relied on the gospel message to give him strength and to realize that uh, is Christ is, is, is all he needs and found forgiveness and love. In Christ Jesus. Another person that um, really was just excellent um, in her testimony and in her struggle with this is a woman called Rosaria Butterfield. She actually was a professor uh, of English studies in uh, Syracuse University and she um, uh, she at that time was a lesbian and um, and she um, was very vocal and and um, in her beliefs about these things and actually wrote policies to help the university with, with some of these gay issues. And she, um, during 1997, Promise Keepers was coming to Syracuse and she wrote uh, a letter to the newspaper about what she thought about it. And um, basically she got a lot of hate mail and she got a lot of fan mail. But through that whole time, she did... Um, receive a letter from a local pastor who just asked her questions. And this kind of confused her a little bit because she basically just always thought that all churches were the same and they just hated homosexuals. And and so she didn't want to, she eventually threw out the letter, but then she dug through all the garbage to find it again. And this pastor just wanted to invite her over to dinner to for to have dinner with him and his wife. And um, I love what, what Rosaria said. She goes, one thing I felt about this pastor is that I wasn't his project. I actually became his friend. And what through that relationship, she began to read the Bible, 
And uh, the Bible really began to speak to her heart and speak to her pride. And she said what happened is that her two worldviews came crashing together after she began to really read the word. And she really believed that the pastor, through his friendship, helped guide her to see who God really was and what his plan was for her life. And, um, and this really um, helped her. And, um, and by reaching out to her and just loving her where she was at and not trying to uh, cram the Bible down her throat, but loving her where she was at, she came to discover um, Jesus as her um, Lord and Savior. And, and she realized that it, it wasn't necessarily changing her, her, it wasn't about just changing her sexual desires. It, it, there had to be a change of heart and that's what she discovered. And I like one thing that Rosaria says that she says, you know, what we need to do in our lives is we need to love the sinner but hate our own sin. That it's very easy for me to point out the sins that I don't struggle with. And every single one of us struggle with sin. And every single one of us need a Savior that can forgive us of that sin. And here's the reason why. We believe that Jesus was perfect and that he was God. And he's the only one that can be a perfect Savior to us. And so the problem is we go all the way back to the book of Genesis. We see the confusion after the fall, our confusion sexually, our, our, the, the abuse that happens with all this stuff. And if there's anything as a pastor that I see that has um, disrupted more lives, it's, it's, this, it's the sin of, of sexuality, the things that are deviant because of, of, of misunderstanding what God's desire is for our lives sexually. And, um, and so um, it, as, as we just... You know, as I just end this this time together, and and as I just, I, I want to pray. Um, my my prayer for you, if you're listening to this and you're struggling with same-sex attraction, or you're in the church and you've got a a, a family member, uh, someone that's close to you, a coworker that's struggling with this, my, my question to you is: is let's allow love to be our banner as we speak the truth of God's word. As, as a pastor, um, I know this is such a sensitive issue, and, and the reason why, um, biblically, I can't back off it, because if, if I were to do that, what would happen is, is, is I, would, um, I, I would do damage to the gospel message that Jesus came for sinners. And, and the Bible is specific on, 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 on what is deviant to God and how we've missed God. And if I were to back off that and just say, well, let's just accept everybody for the, for, for, for the way they are and just let them live within that sin, then what we do is we, we, we um, diminish the power of the gospel to change lives. And, and we are all sinners that, that need saving. And I know this is a, is a delicate issue, but as we, as we proclaim that truth, let, let us do it in love and, and let people be able to come to Christ just as they are and let God do the healing um, in their lives. And that's my prayer for you, is that uh, if you've not done that, that you would come to that saving knowledge of Jesus, that he came for us, that he loves us, um, that, that he wants to reestablish um, that relationship that was broken uh, be, because of sin. And so it has to be a change of the heart. So I want to pray for you. And um, thank you for, I know this was a little bit different from the normal Sunday morning, speaking on Sunday morning, so you, you know, um, didn't hear the people in the background and stuff. I know this is a, a little different, but I'm praying that this teaching will help you and um, 
uh, and help you just to, to, to know what God's desire is for our lives and what his will is. So, Lord Jesus, we just bow our hearts before you now. And, Lord, I just pray that, that God, you would touch our hearts with your love, that, that we would always walk in your grace, that, that there would never be an ounce of hate. And we thank you, Jesus, that, that you so loved the world that you came. You came for sinners. And, Lord, our, all of our hearts are ugly, and, 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 and they've been tainted. And we thank you, God, that you came in the midst of our ugliness to, to point to your Son, who is perfect in every way, to take on the cross our sins, to take the penalty of our sins so that we could reconnect with a holy God again through Christ. And it can only happen through Christ. And with our relationship with Christ, you now impart your righteousness into our hearts and lives that we can now have a right relationship with God. And I pray, God, for those that have been abused, um, God, those that are hurting, those that, um, that just have a lot of regrets and a lot of pain in their hearts and lives because of sexual sin, I pray, God, that you would bring your healing to them in Jesus' name. So, Lord, I just thank you for your grace that leads us and guides us. And so, Lord, just go with us now and uh, just help us to walk in this world with your love and your grace as we proclaim the truth that Jesus came for sinners. And so we give you just the glory and we thank you, Jesus, for your love today. And we just ask all these things in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Amen. God bless you today. Have a wonderful day.